I think we, we, we've all had this moment, right? Where you're like, okay, if I left fundamentalism of the right, I don't want to become a fundamentalist of the left, right? Like I don't want to become the other of what I'm trying not to be just in a whole different way. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. What do you do when your questions and doubts and frustrations with the church at large will no longer be tolerated by your church? How do you move forward when something in you tells you you can no longer participate in the faith you were given unless major changes happen, but your church tells you to stop what you're doing or leave? Our guest today, Tim Whitaker, has been dealing with just that. Uh, He is the creator of the viral Instagram account, The New Evangelicals. And on that account, he aims to create conversation and help push the Christian faith forward. But as we'll see, this hasn't exactly been met with open arms. So hi, Tim. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. And thank you for saying viral. I mean, wow, I am, that is a very, I am honored to even have that word associated with my account. So thank you very much. I mean, you've only been doing it since like December, right? Yeah. 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 Nice. I would say that's viral. <laughs> okay. I'll I mean, take yeah. the win. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I <laughs> love it. So, Tim, we're excited to talk to you in particular about um, the New Evangelicals, which is an interesting name for a deconstruction account. Um, you know, most of us going through deconstructing our faith, and I would say including myself, really want nothing to do with evangelicalism anymore. And I, I think that may be a little too negative, but that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. So, I find it interesting that you chose that name. Can you tell us why? Um, and then are you looking maybe to simply reform evangelicalism or to re-envision the church uh, in a more healthy way in the future? Yeah. Well, let me just say first off that I'm very much like you a lot of days where I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> what am I doing in here? You know, give me um, give me the Molotov cocktail. I'll be the first one to throw it in the building, right? Like I right. understand that. Um, I see the the problems. I mean, it, the I call it the AEC, American Evangelical Church. It is very problematic for a lot of reasons. And we can be here for three hours or more talking about every single one. The <laughs> reason why I chose New Evangelicals is because um, I just had this moment where I was actually, I'm not sure if you guys know who Sean Foyt is, um, oh, the Bethel, yeah. you know, let us worship <laughs> guy. It was like, I, I don't know, maybe September last year. I'm, I'm watching some video that he's, he's doing. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just steaming like, oh, this is so wrong. It's so he's missing it. And in a moment of frustration, I just went, we need like a new evangelical movement. Like this one sucks. And then I thought <laughs> new evangelicals, like that's kind of catchy. No. Um, and I checked to see if it was taken. I assumed it would be, you know, I think it's a decent name and, and it was available everywhere. So I said, well, I might as well grab it just in case who knows. And then I launched it in December. But honestly, 
the heritage of, of the evangelical movement historically in America is actually way more complicated and way more center left in a lot of ways than, than the current expression that we're even experiencing now. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons why I, I just wanted to, th- I thought to myself, I want to really get back to like the heart of what it means to be evangelical, which is someone who, who tells the good news, who tells good news to people. And we are not doing that anymore. And I ultimately believe that the gospel, and that's a very loaded term, so loaded. And depending on who you ask, you get different answers. And we can unpack all of that if you want. But you know, <laughs> the, ultimately, the idea of Jesus being good news still means something to me. Um, and I think that 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 name should be reclaimed for our cultural context because uh, it's hurt a lot of people. So I'm giving it the old college try. You know, I don't think I'm any. <laughs> I'm, I, I have any secret formula here because a lot of us have come and gone, but a lot of us are still very obsessed with Jesus, right? Like we left because we, not. I mean, again, not everyone, but at least in my circles, most of us left because we're trying to be better Jesus followers, not not the opposite. So I totally get why people have, have, have ditched the label. It's a very valid reason, frankly. Hmm. Can you define evangelicalism for us real quick, just before we move forward? Well, like, like what's our your current, definition of it? Oh, good. Well, that, that's, that's one of the, honestly, that's one of the major problems because the term evangelical and evangelicalism is a huge umbrella term, right? You got guys like John MacArthur and Kenneth Copeland, in the same umbrella of evangelical. And for mm. those of you who don't know, John MacArthur is a very conservative, you know, uh, like very literal reading of the Bible kind of guy. And Kenneth Copeland is a, is a famous televangelist who's actually the wealthiest, uh, like Christian pastor in America right now. You know, he's the guy much, with the creepy eyes, right? Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so they live in the same bubble, but I think that a safe, Big picture definition is someone who would see the Bible as somewhat authoritative uh, in their life, who would who would who would uh, affirm the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, a literal resurrection, not just a spiritual one, um, and would probably most evangelicals do lean politically right, especially white evangelicals. So there, there tends to be a very common thread: eighty percent of them um, or more lean uh, lean right wing as well. So there is definitely a political you know, side of this that, that we just have to admit. Right. Okay. And so we can settle the debate once and for all. Can you just pronounce the word for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even, uh, even, uh, oh my God, this, I, uh, well, I, yeah, evangelical, I, I right? Those. And I call it, uh, evangelicalism. That's what I say. There you really? go. I Settled. Mean, you do, but I say, uh, what do I say? Yeah, what do you evangelicalism. say? Evangelicalism. Evangelical. Is that wrong? No, I don't think so. No, I oh, just, it's man. funny because it's a, it's totally a, a regional thing, but I had never heard it until you, Gary Allen. And then I was like, what is I'm going to start saying e- evangelical. I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> I can't even read. So The you diamond know, of the <laughs> South. You do. That's right. Yeah. The diamond of the South. Amazing. Okay. So to get back on topic here, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about what, what disillusioned you with the evangelical church <laughs> or, or like what started your crisis of faith or whatever term you'd want to use deconstruction, whatever. Um, and then also, yeah. I mean, you've kind of alluded to it, but where would you say you are in your faith right now? Yeah. Um, well, I've been very, um, privileged in my life to be around great people ever since I was really 18. Um, I was actually part of a small 
community type group of people. Not that wasn't a part of any official church. It was really uh, in between a church plant and like a small group. There's, there was about forty of us, and uh, it was called Eleventh Hour, and that was where I started rethinking church. So this the journey started with, hmm, what is church? Like, what is it? What are we doing? Uh, and I, it's safe to say we, we were all kind of deconstructing church at the time, you know, thinking about different models, listening to different authors such as Frank Viola, who wrote the book Pagan Christianity. Um, you know, so we're, we're really steeped in this stuff, trying to rethink, like, what is church? And of course, over time, that eventually leads you to leads you to ask questions. Well, what's the gospel, you know, and what's the Bible? And, and these these questions just kind of keep going. But when like I would say maybe theological deconstruction really took hold. Um, I've always been on this path, but when it, when it kind of, when the, uh, mountain really got steep, so to speak, right. And I was really going down the, the, uh, deconstruction trail here. It was probably about four years ago. I was 28 and I got hit with a really, really random, but intense, uh, like, like anxiety panic disorder that just hit me out of, I mean, literally out of the blue, like, like a light switch one day, boom, this is happening. Uh, oh, wow. really bad panic attacks and anxiety and like crazy stuff. I lost a lot of weight. I wasn't eating. And that really taught me so much, even more than just theological things I had to think through. Um, but that was the beginning of me having to do some really self um, re-examination and some self-reflection and through therapy and just kind of now gaining new categories. Like I didn't really understand anxiety or depression. I never quote unquote struggled with it. Right. But now when, when it happens to you, it changes everything. And uh, right. that led me to really rethink, like, what do I believe theologically? So I grew up in a very um, Calvinistic home. I was homeschooled for nine years. Great parents. My parents are great people. It wasn't really about them and them teaching me this. It was more, more about the churches and circles that we were in. Um, but Calvinism pretty much says that God has preordained from the beginning of time who is saved and who is not safe. You know, like it's all been predetermined and you're either, either God will, will, will wake you up one day and save you or else you're just, that's it. Like you're on the road to hell. And right. when at 28, I'm like, okay, I need to figure out like, is this really true? Like how can the all loving God really be doing this? It doesn't make any sense. Right. And all the arguments I've heard and I was pretty deep in this theological stuff for a lot of years. It just, they weren't adding up. So that was one of the big moments in my life where I said, I have to really like rethink a lot of my theology around the Bible, around the nature of God, around the theology I've been taught and kind of start rethinking. And then that's when I thought even to myself, I have to kind of deconstruct this. And then I found out, of course, deconstruction is like, it's the newest <laughs> buzzword, right? We're all kind of going through it, but honestly, we know it's nothing new. So, but yeah, so that's where I've been and where I'm at now to answer your other part of your question. Um, I'm, of course, I'm not really sure, you know, um, do I affirm, um, um, some kind of divine presence that we can call God? Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm definitely not an atheist. I've thought through that enough. Um, do I think the Bible is full of wisdom and even in a sense, God inspired? Yeah, but just not in our Western fundamentalist terms, but yeah, I definitely think that, that the, the divine worked through humans and this really crazy collection of writings was somehow preserved to now in some way we can debate, you know, how accurate they are. Um, so all that for me is just kind of on the table, right? Like what does hell look like? I don't know. I just read a book from Bart Ehrman, heaven and hell. And that blew my mind, right? Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this right. is like, there's much more going on here than what I was taught uh, about essentially being taught that, okay, um, evangelicalism is all there is. This is Christian. They're one and the same. And if you leave evangelicalism, you're, you're leaving Christianity, only to find out that that was one small piece of the Christian pie and the waters mm -hmm. are deep, wide, and complex. 
Mm, I love that. You know, it's funny you say that. I actually just tweeted that today, um, talking about the fact that deconstruction isn't ripping away Christianity. It's just taking apart a version of Christianity, which for many of us d- doesn't work anymore. And mm-hmm. that's okay because we're not we're not um, destroying Jesus. We're not destroying the church. We're just reframing what we think about uh, Christianity, and it no longer is encapsulated. Uh, exclusively in evangelicalism. Right. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. I said it right that time. You so did. I'm you, proud of you. You were you were at a church when you were doing this, correct? Yeah, I mean, were, I've, I've been actively involved in churches, including one recently. Yeah. And so, how did they respond? Did they know about your deconstruction and your account? I mean, what's the narrative around that? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty transparent. Period. I got just the way I'm wired. I can't live like a dualistic life. You know, it's very much what you see is what you get. I'm very consistent no matter who I'm in front of. You know, the version I'm even what I'm doing now, it's the same Tim when I talk to my wife later on. It just is, right? Obviously, we're not perfect. We get that, but there's not like a different side of it. So, yeah, I was at a church for the past six years that I really planted myself at. My wife and I discovered it six years ago, and we said, you know what? Um, we're going to really kind of marry the church, right? So to speak, because you have to understand I'm, I'm also a drummer. And for a lot of years in my circles, drummers were needed in different churches. And I built a pretty robust network. So for a lot of years, I would just fill in play here, play here. I loved it. And then eventually we decided to settle. Um, yeah, the past like maybe two years were where things got a little more, I wouldn't say tense because I'm very relational and I make intentional time to get coffee with people that I know are thinking Hey, I'm not sure about this Tim person. You know, like I, I would meet up with my senior pastor almost monthly. My worship pastor and I were very close. I was part of a team of four, my worship pastor, two other volunteers and me who kind of led the worship ministry together. We were very intertwined. Like it was very, it was very close. A lot of, um, you know, intimate moments shared emotionally, which for me being a type six on the Enneagram is a big deal because I'm a loyalist. So that's very important mm. to me is relational. So um, I've always been outspoken on social media, even before New Evangelicals on my Facebook account. I've been known by, by my friends, you know, as the controversial guy, not even trying to be, just sharing thoughts, right? Like, <laughs> hey, we should rethink the evangelical church. Oh, you're so controversial. It's like, why? <laughs> like, they're hurting people, right. you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. like, okay, you know, you know, m- most evangelicals lean politically right and think that black lives aren't that important in the grand scheme of things. That's problematic, you know? That shouldn't mm-hmm. be controversial. So right. I guess what is my normal to some people is controversial, which is what it is. I, I understand. And I've had to get better with tone. And, you know, I, I want to solve problems, not make more problems, clearly. So um, this kind of came to a head after the George Floyd situation, because for me, that was a huge shift mentally of, OK, I have to really rethink my views on race and racism in America and the Ahmad Arbery in particular, it still gets me choked up because I saw that video. It just, it absolutely wrecked me. I mean, I was just like mm. broken at my table feeling so helpless and powerless. And then seeing, of course, the narratives come out. You, we all know the stories. We know how the right will spin it. We, we know how it goes. And um, yeah, at that point I was getting more vocal on social media and just more like direct, like this is a problem. We have to address it. It's not Marxist to admit that black lives matter. It's just not. <laughs> Um, you know, surprise, it's, it's biblical. So I know I'm a little long winded here, but I'm trying to set the stage. So I apologize for that. But essentially what happened was in August of 2020, 
was when my pastor and senior pastor, worship pastor kind of brought me into the office and were like, hey, we should really talk about your content on social media. It was fine. They're good people. I, I still believe that. They're not bad people. They're not maniacal. They're not Mark Driscoll's, you know, like in the back, like <laughs> plotting how to control right. people. They're not that way. They just have a certain persuasion. So things got tenser and tenser from that meeting on. Um, I even wrote them a letter and I read it to them saying, hey, this is just who I am. If it's a problem, I'll resign from these ministries. And I didn't. They didn't tell me to. And then, But you months, weren't like paid staff. You weren't no, paid staff. Full volunteer. And they, and they still brought you into the office. Like that's a little yes. heavy handed to me. Well, in evangelical circles, I think it's kind of par for the course. Hmm. You know, honestly, especially in worship, you have to understand, and I'm speaking with a broad brush here, not every church is this way, but in this more modern worship approach, you have this worship team. If you're on the platform, you're seen as a leader, you sign a document stating, you know, what the rules are. And I agreed to all of them, you know, I wasn't drinking publicly, stuff like that, you know, which to me, it's not a big deal. It's not my cup of tea. I'm not a big drinker anyway, but whatever, I'll play ball. Right. But the social media opinion thing was kind of new. Like, well, there's nothing in the handbook about this guy's like... What's what's the problem, right? Guaranteed and there is event, now. Yeah. Guaranteed well, they yeah. added it yeah. <laughs> after yeah, it's this. It's the Tim Whitaker um, <laughs> section <laughs> of the, the statement of faith, yeah. a.k.a. Tim the Whitaker The Tim Whitaker comments. clause. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a weird dynamic. It, it was anyway until what happened recently. We can we can get into that in a minute, you know, if you want. But they were good people. We got along great. We, we, I talked to my senior pastor over coffee. We talked about the church. We talked about our pros and cons. We talked about things we agreed on and in, in, in saw differently. I, I find that there is unity among diversity. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of churches want unity and conformity. And that's such right. a perspective shift for me. I don't operate that way, right? Like mm-hmm. a good example is Joe Lumen. I love Joe Lumen on Instagram, right? I've interviewed her. We talk, we text. We don't see mm-hmm. eye to eye. I need her perspective in my life. You know, right. like I need the diverse opinions. So yeah, so that's, it was good, but definitely like I can kind of feel, you know, a little bit of tension there, but for mm-hmm. me, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, so. so then they eventually were like, now we can't do this anymore. Yeah. So um, five weeks ago, my senior pastor got lunch with me and uh, very cordially, very politely told me, listen, I'm boiling down the conversation to this. You you either adjust or stop your social media presence, either one of those. And it wasn't mm-hmm. it was not defined or you can no longer serve on the worship team at this church. You have to resign because I can't have someone who is saying things that contradict my teaching who's also on the platform with me. I said, okay, well, if that's the two options I'm given in this moment, I have to resign for a number of reasons. I mean, I had like three or four major reasons I'm saying I have to resign. And uh, I did. And, you know, I don't like to dehumanize people because I don't like division. I really don't. I mean, I was even part of a worship ministry called Resonate out of this church that brought the Capital C Church together every other month. At our peak, we had 60 different churches coming out to these nights, over 100 volunteers from 15 wow. different churches. Hmm. On the stage was eight different churches represented among the band. It was a beautiful thing. So I that is my heartbeat. It's like togetherness, hmm. even if we don't see it the same way. So I say that because they're, I still say that they're good people. They're not bad people. They just have a very fundamentally different perspective over what leadership and what a volunteering means. So what what exactly was his biggest uh, gripe? Was it your political leanings? Was it like 
comments about the Bible? Like, what do you think it was that was the tipping point that he said, okay, you're, you've gone far enough. We, we can no longer allow you to be a part of our community. Yeah. Um, two parts. And I should also mention that they did offer, they said, listen, you can definitely still come in at 10. You just can't serve on the platform. So it wasn't and like, you can, Hey, you can give your money too, right? Yes. You can also probably <laughs> give your money. Yes. Yes. Um, so anyway, I, um, the big ones that in that meeting were the tithe and I'll explain why there's a context to that. And the other one was the LGBTQ issue. Now, nothing oh, was yeah. specifically given to me as like, Hey, here's the post in question. We have a, it was just, mm-hmm. hey, the way you talk about these things. And I'm very open on my account that theologically I'm still working through the LGBTQ issue, even though I'm fully affirming as a human being. You know, like we should make mm-hmm. space for people in that community at that in the church period, even though I'm still working through some of this stuff on my own, on my own personal time, right? So um, and the tithing one was because I guess he preached on tithing one Sunday. I ended up talking about tithing on my account, and he saw that as like a direct attack against him. Keep in mind, oh, wow. though, I've never mentioned my church by name ever on my account, and I've only hmm. always talked about them anonymously in a very positive way intentionally. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like I'm like, oh, pastor, love your preaching. Then online, I'm like, my pastor's preaching is terrible. Here's why he sucks. It's quite <laughs> the opposite. Right. It's I use my church as an example of, hey, look, some churches do volunteering really well, and my church does it really well, or they handle COVID really well. They're not anti-mask. So mm-hmm. I tried my best, <laughs> you know, to really make it as positive as possible. And it just seems mm-hmm. like, like it just wasn't enough. Hmm. How How did this all go for your wife in all this like was she, was she like you know was she on board did she wish you would tone it down like how and then how did it feel for her knowing that you were being treated this way my wife is a type 2 and that means that she's a giver and she's fiercely loyal and feels very defensive mm. of her friends and family my wife was pissed she was angry <laughs> And she's been like, she's probably been even deconstructing more than I have. You know, like we've talked about like her beliefs and where she's at. And we're not in the same spot in some ways. You know, we have to make room for that. Um, But she was really not happy. I mean, she was really hurt, I think, for me. And also the fact that no one even talked to her. Like the way the situation happened, it wasn't well organized. I'm not going to say it was maliciously done. It just wasn't. My my worship pastor and senior pastor weren't in the same room when we had this conversation. So I'm hearing one thing from my senior pastor one day, huh. different thing from my worship pastor a different day. Then four days later, I'm told, oh, by the way, this resonate thing, you can't be part of that either anymore. Even though I was one of the main drivers behind that, I find that out four days later. So it's just like, hmm. gut, you know, it's just like punched it to the gut after punched to the gut. So the way it was handled Seriously. wasn't very consistently clear. My wife was mm. very angry. You know, I think she still mm. is pretty frustrated and pretty aggravated. You know, like she was really mm. hurt by, by by how it all went down, especially seeing that when I'm in something, I give everything. So and I do it happily, by the way. They, they, I was never guilt tripped into it. But, you know, volunteer, I, I'm not sure how much, you know, you guys are into music or worship, but making Ableton sets, like doing high production stuff in the back. Like I, I gave a lot of time. So I think it really hurt my wife to see that there was no room for me theologically. And that trumped the relationship. Hmm. Mm. Gosh, uh, you know, I think this just <sighs> this just points to what what you're trying to do is like say there are problems that we have in the evangelical church at large, um, and we need to talk about them, and then 
a lot of them need fixing. I'm, you know, you might get to the point where you're like, oh, okay, so maybe that one that I thought was a problem isn't actually a problem. But what you're saying is there needs to be a dialogue. There needs to be the healthy tension of saying like, are we carrying out the mission that we said we, or like we say we live for? Are we serving people? Are we actually as a church doing that? And and I think, I find it so interesting that most of these churches then go, there's one person in charge, they can't be questioned. Well, he can't be questioned, typically. Um, And not only that, but like, what, what a testimony that would have been had he been able to keep you there and say, you know what, we, we're okay with this. We're going to show the rest of the congregation what it's like to differ theologically and still be able to be the body of Christ. And that's what's so heartbreaking to me is it's just like you either are 100% on board with me and you never question or you're out. I told him that directly during our meeting. I'm almost at this point, I'm pretty much crying over the table because I'm just so heartbroken because you have to understand I built very close friendships with a lot of people and we were doing great work. Like I enjoyed being there. Like there's no way around that. And I said, it's really a shame that I'm leaving over secondary theological perspectives. You know, I'm not preaching a non-resurrected Christ. I'm not saying Jesus never rose again. You know, (laughs) like I'm not saying that I hold to a pretty conservative theology in, in, in a very academic sense, you know, maybe, maybe not politically, but academically I do for sure. You know, resurrection bodily is very conservative. Um, and it was really, yeah, it really hurt to be in that spot of like, I, I would, again, I, I would brag to the, my account, like, guys, my church makes room for me. I love that. Mm. And now, like, what do I tell them? You know, like, what do I tell all my friends who aren't going to see me anymore? I've, I've, been with, I've been with my bass player for five years, almost every Sunday we play together. And it's just one day it's just gone, like it never happened. It's like, that's just so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Gosh, I, I'm just, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm heartbroken for you and I'm heartbroken for the church at large and your, your one specific church too, just because it, it's like, this could have, what I think the church really needs to learn. And this is something that we never talk about though, is like how you, how you walk through tension to get to a better relationship at the end. Um, we don't ever talk about that. So in, as soon as we hit tension, we're like out, you know, like, ah, I can't, you know, tension must mean this relationship is bad. Uh, and so I, I think what yeah. that points to though, is that you, the work you're doing is so necessary. <laughs> like the, the account that you have and th- the questions that you pose and the way you encourage people to see different perspectives is so important. I mean, I feel like it just, it just revealed the problems that you've been trying to say have been there the whole time. Um, so I, I applaud you yeah. for continuing on despite, <laughs> I mean, personal, a lot of personal um, sacrifice. Uh, and, and that is something too, like one of the things you do on your account is you just simply in your stories, you just put up a question and you say, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? Like you, you, uh, probably back in the day you had, COVID and Black Lives Matter and um, women's ordination. I mean, I'm sure you've done the whole gamut. And I mean, the other day, uh, recently I saw you do something on Mother's Day, you know, 
you mm. you cover mm-hmm. the whole thing and it seems like your followers or at least from the responses that you get that people are kind of all over the spectrum of beliefs so yep what has like reading all those different beliefs and responses and viewpoints done for you how has it changed you and your faith has how would you say um you feel like you've grown because of doing this account yeah, it's tough. It's hard to really gauge it just yet because we're only about what December, six, seven months into this experiment. Really, I mean, Instagram isn't really designed to do what I'm doing it, <laughs> using it for, right? Like, I'll pose a question and I'll screenshot like a hundred <laughs> DMs <laughs> and share them or more. Sometimes I've had up to three hundred in a day. Um, wow. And Goodness. you know, obviously, listen, you can't you can't read every single one all the way through. Sometimes I get like you know seven or eight messages in one shot. Right. And it's like, okay, I have to, I have to read as much as I can understand the perp, the, the thought. I always, I respond to every DM. I, I at least give it a heart minimum. And I try and always say like, you know, thank you for sharing. Cause people are sharing like very intimate things about their lives. I mean, they just do things that to me are just like, wow, this is, I mean, I'm like, there's been a few where I've like wept while I'm typing back, you know, I'm just like, this is just crazy. I think what it's taught wow. me, it's kind of confirmed my suspicions. Maybe is a better way of saying it. That 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 evangelical Christians, people who grew up in this evangelical you know bubble, um, have questions that they don't feel like they can talk about in their church without fear of getting kicked out. I hate to say that I'm a walking testament to that because I was hoping to be the opposite. I was hoping to be a walking <laughs> example of of that uh, of proof that there are churches that are doing good work <laughs> in this way. But it just goes <laughs> to show that the rigid. I'm going to say fundamentalism that has overtaken the evangelical movement did not stick like how they think it did because people will smile and raise their hands in worship and, and applaud the pastor, but then they'll go home with questions that they don't know where to go to. Like, who do I ask these real questions about? How do I ask, is God really burning people forever without feeling judged? Like, of course he is. What kind of, what are you, a heretic? Like hell's eternal conscious torment. That's the only way to ever view it. You know, <laughs> people, people have real questions about that. But that's the answer they get in the church. So I think I've learned that that people have real questions and people have different opinions. I I do my best. I think we're all here. I think we, we, we've all had this moment, right, where you're like, okay, if I left fundamentalism of the right, I don't want to become a fundamentalist of the left, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to become um, the other yeah. of what I'm trying not to be just in a whole different way. So yeah. I really do my best, and we all have our biases. I have mine, just to be okay with like sharing more conservative perspectives too, you know, and saying, guys, people think this way. We have to listen. They want to share. We have to respect that and dialogue. That's how you change people, right? Is by dialogue, not by screaming at them. So that's kind of some of the things I've learned so far. Mm. Have you had people scream at you? Um. I've had a few people really get into it with me. I had one professor who like really, he told me that he uses my account for fodder for his classroom. Oh, I said, well, that's not very nice. <laughs> but um, I, I, what I tend to do to kind of get around like people like that is I'll, I'll audio message them. I do audio messages all the time. And once they hear a human voice who's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not an asshole. I'm actually a nice guy. You know, I'm just thinking through this right. stuff. Their guard is automatically lowered. I've had people come out and swinging. You're a heretic. You're this or that. I'll DM them with audio. Hey, I'm I'm Tim. I'm the human behind this account. Nice to meet you. Here's my thoughts. 
And then they end up usually they end up apologizing, honestly, they have quite a few, which is nice. It's like, great. See, we, we can communicate even though we see things differently. Like we don't have to dehumanize each other over different perspectives. It's possible. So, yeah. Yeah, I've found in those conversations, like the labeling comes out really quickly. And, yeah. you know, then once you're labeled something, it's you're you're either reeling from it or you're just trying to prove that you're not and or you've yeah. just been put in a camp and there's nothing you can do. And yeah. I, I think one of the hardest things with maybe the more fundamentalist crew is when they when they say, well, this isn't biblical, you oh, know, yeah. and, and I'm going to go to the Bible for all of my answers and this, you know, the biblical definition of X, Y, and Z. And uh, I was just on Facebook yesterday and, and was, I'm sorry. I know it's such a terrible (laughs) thing, but I'm doing the same thing. I'm trolling being like, Oh my gosh, these poor Mm -hmm. people. But it was this, this person who was talking about the fact that, you know, there's no way in the world that God could be viewed in female form because that's just not biblical, biblical, biblical. Um, How do you respond to, to that? crowd you know that's that's basically they've got the bible and they're kind of proof texting anything Mm -hmm. from evolution to sexuality to marriage to the biblical definition of you know politics what's yes how do you respond to those people because a lot of our families and friends are made up of those people who who in many ways are good people and and they really do love the bible and yet they may not realize that they're actually not reading it very intelligently, much less was it ever supposed to be used as a weapon. Um, oh, man. First off, let me just say that um, the Bible refers to God as mother in Exodus several times. So right. there's that for those biblical you know, literalists <laughs> over there. It's right. definitely there. Uh, actually, a nursing mother, to be exact. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's a phenomenal question because we have to understand that that the view that we get from those people that has been exported to evangelical culture in a lot of ways is a very new way of looking at the Bible historically as um, an absolute truth in like a scientific way, right? right? So there's like wisdom of the Bible. Is the Bible true in, in the sense of like, is the wisdom it offers true? Well, yes, like Proverbs, it's full of true statements that are just wise, is the Bible camcorder footage every time? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, it's just not. And we can trace this back. We have the data. We don't have any of the original manuscripts. That shouldn't scare Christians, okay? But because we've been taught that the Bible is essentially being from heaven down to us in English, once cracks in that start to happen, aka reality, we lose our minds because we're like, oh my gosh, like this is like God's direct word to me, to me, 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 me. And it turns out that maybe it wasn't, but that there's still truth in here. I'm a big, I mean, humongous fan of uh, Tim Mackey, Bible Project. Love the work those guys oh, do. Yeah. He's phenomenal. And he he's the one who I've listened to so many of his podcasts and he does such a great job of letting the Bible speak on its own terms. And that's something that uh, Dr. John Walton would say as well. You know, the Bible was written uh, for us, but not to us. Major distinction, major Mm. distinction. Now, as far as how do I deal with those types of people online? Not very much. I don't really engage because you're never going to win because how do you unpack all those layers in a comment when they can just go, (laughs) here's the Bible verse, you're wrong. It's like, well, okay, I guess in this in this arena you win yeah. because you can say the most amount of quote unquote truth in the least amount of space. 
right? Here's the Bible verse. It's God's word. There's no context. This is what it means. You're right. You're wrong. I'm right. The end. And then how did I respond? Well, what is the Bible? You know, page one, right? Like <laughs> there's so much, um, there's so many layers we have to unpack before we can even have the conversation of how you're applying this Bible verse, bottom line. So I, 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 in longer form, I try and have like, you know, DM dialogues via audio message. I'm actually interviewing someone on my, my, on my podcast next Thursday, who is a, um, outspoken pastor who tells his followers do not wear masks as a sign of fighting the tyranny of the government. And I'm like, dude, we should talk. Cause I have a lot of questions for <laughs> oh, you. My a man. Lot. And we're going to get into this, you know, because I want him, I want people to hear what he has to say. And I have a lot of questions I want answers to. So you need a longer form format, you know, Gary Allen, you really do. Mm. But the bottom line is we also on a big picture level have to really get back to like, thanks to scholarship recently, we have unprecedented amount of information about the Bible. And that should right. be a good thing to push us forward, to put the Bible in a very healthy place. But unfortunately, in our circles, it's really become the fourth part of the Trinity. It's become God itself. Uh, yeah. In a very in, a, in in a very rigid interpretation model that if you deviate from you're now heretical, which historically is just a bunch of nonsense. Well, and I think what it is actually doing is the opposite of what they want, which is it is leading people to abandon faith in droves because totally it, it's it's just uh, it's a house of cards, and at some point you go off to college or you become an yeah. adult and you realize like wait a minute, this way. I was told that the Bible was was inerrant and perfect and a hundred percent literal and fully yes. historical, right? And that I have to read it everything from that lens. And and once one of those pieces falls apart, then you're left with nothing, and so you're you right. walk away. And yeah. and I, it breaks my heart actually because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the the Bible was never viewed that way until what 150 years ago. The um, Enlightenment. That was a big yeah, movie, like big part of it. no one thought the Bible was literal and historical and that Genesis was an actual account of creation. Oh, right. No one has ever thought that except right. for modern evangelicals. And yes. I think that's what makes me sad is there's so many people running away from Christianity for the wrong reasons. So yes. kind of kind of what are you trying to build that would that would re, that would really replace that in a beautiful way? Yes, we can talk about how bad it is, as you said, but what's the future? What what are you building and pointing people to that is more beautiful than that version of faith? Yeah, well, I'm trying to point people towards the reality that that the Bible is way more beautiful, complicated, and messy than we ever knew, and that's a great thing. Hmm. I'm trying to tell people that you can't do real theology on social media. <laughs> Okay. Like you just can't. All right. I'm not going to claim to do it on my account. You, if you're getting your theology from me, like you're making huge errors, right? Especially now we have access to scholars through podcasts, through YouTube for free. No other generation right. ever had this. You can look up any scholar you want and find their lectures for free. Take advantage of that, right? These guys are girl, guys and girls. They're, 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 they're neck deep in in things. I mean John Walton's book um The Lost World of Genesis 1 beautifully explains the narrative of Genesis 1 and, and, and how it's more about chaos and order than physical material. And when you right. read the book you're like, "Oh my god, this makes so much more sense," right? So that's one aspect. And in like a church aspect, I'm trying to get us to realize that the evangelical institutional mega church 
model, you know, the industrialized megachurch mm. has traded values. So we've traded we the value of community. That's a, that's a very early church model value we see in scripture and also in church history. We've traded that for institution, for system, and for event. Okay, mm. so the event has trumped the community. We will churches will say that they're all about community. Churches will say, welcome home, you belong, right? But what, what that means is you belong as long as you're here on a Sunday morning and you're right. in a seat and you're you're just consuming, right? Yeah. Like we will feed you and you just consume and you go home and you check off the box, church. And if you're a super Christian, you go to a small group. And if you want all the crowns, all the jewels in your crowns, you volunteer. That's like the hierarchy that we kind of have set up. And the reality is that that value system must be replaced with the value that of communal living together, which does not fit into our Western um, in individual, like secular cultures model. It doesn't fit into our current evangelical churches model, but the communal relationship of together, meeting at the table and then loving our neighbors outside of that, that for me, I think is a much more I hate to use the term biblical, but you know, much more. It's it's a much clearer value that we see uh, taught throughout church history that that must be reclaimed, mm. must be. Mm. It just has to be at, really at, at all costs. And then this is someone who loves the event. I played in, in professional events for worship for many years. I love it. My drum sets behind me, as you can see. I do this all the time. I gig out on the weekend. You know, I'm hooked, but it, not for the sake of like what is the church, right? It can't just be an event that we go to. We're, we're, we're missing it. All right, so let's talk about the fruit of evangelicalism, in particular over the last five to six years where we've really seen the culmination of the movement happen in this crescendo of white nationalism, of misogyny, mm -hmm. of um, racism. And when I look at evangelicalism, in particular American evangelicalism, I see – 81% of them mm -hmm. uh, unanimously almost voted for Trump. There is a, <laughs> yep. a wide range of anti-immigrant, anti-black lives. Um, they love war. They love their guns. Um, they seem to be against um, a lot of the fruits of the Spirit and even the Sermon of the Mount with Jesus. So am, am I being too damning toward the movement and the fruit, or are you seeing similar things uh, from your perspective? Well, all you're doing is citing data. <laughs> We're not making yeah. this stuff up. 80% of white evangelicals, uh, evangelicals voted for Trump twice. That's a reality. And mm -hmm. that means that you're voting for the man who wants to grab women by the crotch. You know, <laughs> we, we know this, who has said things that are shockingly terrible. And I, I for me in 2016, when, when that clip came out, right, that like, you know, what, what, what was it? Access Hollywood tape came out. I thought, yeah. well, this is it. Finally. Yeah, thank God. Over, right? Evangelicals are going to reject this. This is a no brainer. Who wants to vote for a guy who literally is on tape assaulting women? Right. And what right. did Jerry Falwell Jr. do? We need a commander in chief, not a pastor in chief. This is just locker room talk. And people bought it. Mm. That mm. was a moment where I go, what kind of faith movement am I in? Mm. I mean, yeah. put, I'll, I'll put it this way. I grew up, right, like I said, fundamentalist and very conservative. I was taught that we don't objectify women, that you don't look at pornography. And the guy who people voted for who told me that is on the cover of Playboy magazine. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Nothing adds up. 
Like, wait a second. You taught me this is wrong. This guy's on the cover and you still vote for him. And for me, what I think we failed to realize, and this is a very important point that goes really overlooked. We underestimate conservative right-wing media um, sources, period. See, here's the thing. Most people think, or most pastors think that, that they're the ones who are discipling their churches. But the reality is that right-wing media is discipling their churches. That's just the reality because, you know, it's, man, it's so, the more I think about it, the more it burns me up because right-wing media, like the Ben Shapiro's, the Charlie Kirk's, the Sean Hannity's, love to talk about cancel culture, love to talk about how they're being censored, how big tech is censoring them. But statistically, they dominate on social media. The top 10 radio hosts in America, I believe six out of the 10. Now, this is not just talk radio. This is DJing, sports, any kind of DJ on the radio. Six out of 10 are conservative uh, talk radio hosts. Six out of 10. So they they dominate. They dominate Facebook. They dominate. And people have soaked it up. And that's why evangelical Christians can believe like clearly contradictive beliefs. They can say, we, we love Jesus. We support, you know, we support the Bible. We think Jesus is, is God and, and his teachings are God's word to us. Like love your neighbor and, you know, love your enemy. And then can turn around and say, eh, bomb the country next to us. Yeah, Trump's right. right. They are, they are shithole countries, aren't they? That's why mm-hmm. they can do that because talk radio and that, that enterprise spins things in Christian language that are completely unchristian. Make no mistake. Fox News, they all know, they know their audience. They know their audience is 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 some form of Christian evangelical. In fact, today, this is no joke. I still listen to talk radio because I love to keep it in the loop. And we all know, you know, Rush Limbaugh passed away. So they have people filling in for him on, a, on, a, on his talk show. And the guest today literally said, my faith in Christ is what keeps me going. My faith in Christ is like what gives me these views. And I'm sitting there like, what What Christ? What right. Jesus are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? What book are you reading? Because it certainly is not the Sermon on the Mount that gives you these views of being, you know, everything that, everything that you said, Gary Allen, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBT, pro-gun. Can you imagine Jesus in America advocating for less gun control? Like just picture. Sure that for a minute, you know, give me my AK 47 or give me death. You know, it's like, no, right. like what the hell? So yeah. you got me ranting now. You really set me off here, you know, but, <laughs> but this stuff really burns me up because we've been hijacked. The Christian faith in America has been hijacked by far right political, um, you know, commentators and, and rhetoric. And that's why I started my account. We have to reclaim it. It is not liberal to love your neighbor. It's not liberal to advocate for a living wage in a country that has 30% of the world's wealth and 8% of the world's population. That's not crazy. That's like expected. Like, right? If we have all this wealth and goodness, why can't people survive? Even even the ones who are working 40 hours a week at a quote unquote minimum wage job Hmm. makes no sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's not liberal to believe that every human being deserves the right to affordable health care. <laughs> right. I mean, I, what? I, we we serve the great physician, and yet we're telling <laughs> yeah. mostly yeah. brown and black people that totally. they don't deserve health care. You know, it's, I, I, crazy. it's crazy to me. Well, I it's think crazy. it's not even it's like it started there and it's now spreading its way up into uh, like lower middle class 
of any race. Uh, I can barely right. afford it myself, you know, um, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I haven't been able to for a long time. <laughs> so my my parents own a small business. I grew up in small business. There, for them to cover my wife and my son and I, full was fourteen hundred dollars a month. Wow! Just for my plan. Wow. Okay. And that's not, that's of course, deductible, copay, all that's still in there. It's a mortgage payment. Now I'm grateful because through a long story short, we have state healthcare through New Jersey and it's great. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great plan. And I'm, I'm grateful that our state has that, but a lot of states don't. Right. And like you said, uh, Melanie, that it's crazy to think that I can make however many thousands a year and still barely survive. Right. And now on top of that, I have to worry about I have to worry about if my son's to go to the hospital, what bill I'm gonna get literally in a year from now. We got my wife's labor bill came ten months later in the mail. Ten months. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. wow. So it's not too much to ask, you know, to have affordable health care in the world's again richest nation. But for some reason, Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro and and by proxy evangelicals think it's socialism. It's it's right. nuts. Well, like, I think I think a huge part of that is that they're not impacted. And so it doesn't and they don't they're they're sheltered enough to not see it and not know right. someone who's struggling with that, or at least they don't realize it because i think there's a lot of people in my life who have no idea that i'm living in a camper so Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's that um and they don't they don't have to see it so it doesn't seem like a problem and and i think that that's what's so dangerous about what's going on in the evangelical movement right now is it it's insulated from any any experience beyond what makes them comfortable. I I don't want to be too harsh, but I think that's true. And so then why should they care about, and it's moralized, right? If someone's not doing well, it's because it's their fault because they don't love God enough or they're not devoted enough or they, you know, they're unrepentant of sin or whatever it is. And they're lazy, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't work hard enough. And it's like, yeah, I've, I, I worked for 10 years at a ministry, Mm. worked my butt off Yep. Barely got paid anything and still mm. in, you know, can't, I don't want to rant about myself, but like I can't afford hardly anything in my life. And I'm right. like, where? Uh, and that's where I get frustrated is it's it's the evangelical movement seems to not be about the real world and especially not yes. about like your real neighbors. The people who yes. who really need your help are not the ones who are getting it. Oh my goodness. I mean, again, we, we can be here forever, but you're so right. Number one, what what evangelicals lack, and again, broad strokes, right? We all know that, that there are some good people in these things who see things differently, but by and large, there's no empathy for anything yeah. outside of like their worldview, right? You're on welfare must be your fault. You can't afford to pay for things. Well, you didn't save enough. You know, you didn't follow mm-hmm. the, the Dave Ramsey plan, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> there's always an excuse of why whatever you did is somehow your fault. Like right. it, it's always your fault. Right. And if not, now you're just playing victimhood, right? And we can't have victims, mm-hmm. right? So you have that. And then you have this evangelical industrialized institution that creates ivory towers for, for people in ministry. Like, Pastors, what pastors have legitimate, uh, I'm going to use real churchy language here, but quote unquote, unsaved friends who they don't, mm-hmm. they're too busy making their, their, their own little kingdom happen in, yeah. in this yeah. fancy event, trying to be the next elevation, right? Looking at the budget, trying to figure out how they can raise more money to get the better lights or the better equipment. Meanwhile, their neighbor's starving. 
And they call it, oh, we had four salvations today. We had 20 salvations. We're doing it. Salvations, what? They prayed a prayer and raised their hand? Are you kidding me? Again, <laughs> what, what Bible are we reading? Like, please show me the chapter and verse that says, if you pray this prayer and raise your hand, that's it. You know, because Matthew 7 says quite the opposite. Only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom. So we are so selective in our theology, in our application, in the evangelical movement. Uh, And it it honestly is maddening. You know, I mean, I live in New Jersey. We have very poor areas right in right in the heart of Jersey and also Philadelphia, which is on which is on track to have over 600 homicides this year. It's terrible. Hmm. There Hmm. are churches all over the place and we're too busy building up our own little Sunday morning events getting volunteers to, you know, do live stream, to do production, to serve and to greet, then, then to feed the poor. Because we have to, because we, in our mind, feeding the poor is, well, are we enabling? Well, what if they use this money for drugs? Like what, what, where are these qualifications in scripture? They're not there. So the evangelical church is really a political entity of right-wing conservative politics that then looks at the Bible to justify their view. It's not the opposite. Mm-hmm. The, the lens of, of, of historic Christian thinking, especially around the quote-unquote least of these, is not the first lens for the church. First, it's America, it's consumerism, it's capitalism, it's conservatism. Then we look and we look in the Bible and we find our proof text and there's our theology. It's mm. totally ass-backwards. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and also, not to continue down the road, but when church is sold out to like a business model, Totally. And it's all about growth. It's all about bringing people in. It's all yeah. about building the next building and all the the satellite campuses. I mean, there's there's just they are they are building little mini empires. And exactly. It's also quite um, I don't know coincidence that all of the church planting movements tend to be in white suburban wealthy neighborhoods. Mm. Yeah. I, I I mean, maybe that's different in the Northeast, but it's in Colorado, every non-denom church that is planting <laughs> a new church, it yeah. just so happens to be in the nice part of town. Um, and that's a, that's a business decision. It's not totally. a gospel decision. Mm. Oh my gosh, you're on the money. And that's, you know, people have asked me, well, Tim, do you ever want to plant a church? I'm like, hell no. No, <laughs> we don't need more church plants. Our America right. is in New Jersey. I did the math like 10 years ago. There's three, uh, there's one church every three square miles on average in New Jersey. Okay. Wow. We have enough and, churches. And that's the godless Northeast, right? That's the <laughs> like, godless <laughs> Northeast. We are uh, happily so. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, you're ex- exactly right. Um, and so it's, we don't, we don't have a church, you know, church planting, man, Church planting is code for, I don't like how they did things. I can do it better. So I don't want any oversight. That's what that is mm. for so many people, right? It's, oh, I'm going to plant the church. I'll, I'll, I'll get a, I'll make a living doing this somehow and I can do it better. And, and, and by better, we mean a better event, better systems, better volunteers, a better vision. It all comes down to system. There's no sense of real community or what happens is even worse People with good intentions say, I want to build a community, but they fall back into the church institutionalized model and they realize quickly how it's automatically at odds with itself because for the institution to work, it has to grow. For it to grow, Mm -hmm. you need more overhead. More overhead means more money. More money means you have to get more people in the door. So immediately you're sacrificing community and even conviction because you have to grow your little empire, like you said, Gary Allen, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just a community who isn't really concerned if if the pastor's paid or not, but 
instead you're a group in a local neighborhood meeting, eating meals together, being just friends, just friends. And then the overflow of that is you love your neighbors in tangible ways. That's a very different model for our culture, but a very biblical one historically, I believe. Hmm. And and it goes back to you love them regardless of if they believe what you believe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I, I feel like that is a huge part of what is missing and what's pushing so many of us out of the evangelical churches is the ability to stay in relationship with people who don't think exactly like us. Um, and, and it's always like, well, you're staying in sin, so I can't be in relationship with you. And it's like, what? That makes but no you sense. hate your neighbor. Yeah, like, yeah, that's sinful too. Well, no, I, but, it's bonkers. But not only that, it's like to to truly evangelize. If we're gonna go back to the the word that the name comes from, it's people who need Jesus, and so it's people who don't think they need Jesus or who don't believe in Jesus. You know, like if that's really our motivation, if we're really going to evangelize like evangelicals say, then you can't, you can't reach people if you're telling them like, you don't even believe in Jesus, but you need to repent of your sin right now or else I won't even like be friends with you anymore. That doesn't. Not only that, can I give you a little, uh, a little dark, you know, dirty secret of evangelical church growth? Most of it is from church plants. Right. Mm -hmm. You're, you're just shuffling people around. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. few mm-hmm. are genuine, quote unquote, conversions. Most church growth is, I left this church, I go here. And again, why? Well, it makes sense because we have these huge buildings and events. We have the, now, now the big thing is having these greeters, right, with like signs. So glad you're here. VIP, you know, put your flashers on. That's awkward. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be singled out. Like, the gauntlet of, of happiness, get it away from me. So, again, like, we're trying to get, we're, we're trying to sell tickets to a free event. That's what we're trying to do. And mm-hmm. that is not like, that's not real evangelism, quote unquote. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not making a disciple. That's making, that's making spectators. Mm-hmm. So, so they give you money and you can keep doing your event and calling it, you know, the kingdom. Um, and I hate to sound so negative about it, but I, 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 that's why I have this account. Like we're trying to reclaim this, you know, like, no, we, we need to rethink all this. And if, if it, is too controversial for you, then we need to re you have to rethink like what you really believe. Because again, this is a very new model of church. Mega church in this way is like, it's like 30 years old right. out of 2000 right. years of church history, right? The church historically has been oppressed most of its life. They've usually been the ones on, on the bottom, not on top. I mean, obviously we, we have the Roman empire, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, most right. Christians historically are, were either persecuted or just seen as kind of the, the fringe really. And now that we have all this power in the world's greatest country, we are power hungry. And, and that's not the way of the suffering servant, right? That's not the way of, of the risen Christ. But see, so, I, I wonder if it's it. even possible, really. I guess maybe mm. this might be where I I differ from you in terms of like we need a new evangelicalism is like if if we're if we need to like prove that it's successful, if we need to like have metrics of saying like, well, we we grew by this many people and we had this many conversions and we had this and we had that. And there's like, it's not about like things that can't be measured. Then I don't know if it's reformable, if that makes sense. Right. No, it makes complete sense. And, you know, I wrestle with that a lot. And 
I think in a lot of ways, I, I even am a victim of, of of the evangelical culture in the sense of I use evangelical and like the church kind of interchangeably. And obviously there are different mm-hmm. things. You know, I believe that evangelical churches are part of the capital C church, but clearly the capital C church is much more diverse mm-hmm. than the evangelical movement, yeah. right? But, right. you know, my hope is to hopefully give people in these spaces or even people who don't know, who people who who think evangelical, right-wing Trump supporter, right? Like people who think that way, hope that we're, that not only... Are are Christians not all like that? Because again, most people assume Christian evangelical are one and the same culturally. They don't understand mainline versus you know evangelical. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to use the most popular term mm-hmm. and just trying to reclaim, in a sense, Christianity. <laughs> you know, to, in like a very public sense of like we're not all right wing, you know, um, anti-vax, QAnon, Trump loving <laughs> conservatives. I mean, I, I hate to sound dehumanizing in that way, but these things are so. They're so big in evangelical culture. The anti-vax movement is huge. QAnon was fueled by like this, uh, this sense of God and country. I read, I read their books. God and Bible mm. verses are plastered all over it. So e- even the insurrection on the sixth, we saw Jesus banners. It's oh, really, it's really frustrating to see the church see that and go, oh well, these aren't real Christians. It's like, are you crazy? They're in your yeah. churches. These are con- <laughs> yep. these are congregants. So they're just very blind to their own problems. They're too busy judging culture, right? The quote unquote godless culture to see that their own house is crumbling. It is crumbling and they they, they just can't see it. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've almost gotten the courage every time I'm in the grocery store these days and I see someone <laughs> that's not wearing a mask. Yeah. I, I've almost gotten the courage to just simply walk up to them and say, hey, can you tell me what church you go to? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because because yeah. the, I know they're evangelicals. Yes. I, no one else is not doing this. E- everyone yeah. else knows that there is a virus. Science is real. Right. And we want to care for our neighbors. And yes. I'm not the most important. And do I like my mask? No. Am I tired no. of it? Of course. <laughs> but guess what? I'm still wearing it because I, I, I don't want to get somebody else sick. And when yes. we have Christians that are seeing the entire world as you can't tell me what to do, um, yep. Yep. there's there's an entire problem with the movement. There's no oh, yeah. transformation taking place. It, it, it's yeah. we are raising up an entire generation of people who look exactly opposite of Jesus, and and that's when I say it's time to shut it down. I um, wish I could say you're wrong, but I, I see it. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I like, like we just talked about for the past twenty minutes now. You know, like there, it's uh, it's a very unholy alliance of a lot of things, and it's a big spaghetti bowl because we're all everything's connected. Every strand intersects with a different strand somewhere that you can't see, and mm-hmm. it's a very hard web to unpack. You know, and, and to say, okay, what are the connections here? But I do think, for you know, for what it's worth, I do think that there. You know, between deconstructing Christians, especially evangelicals, a lot of us are are, are who grew up in this church culture are really rethinking it. Right, I'm one of millions. I'm I'm no one special here. Um, th- I think that that hopefully there is hope because the church is due for reformation. Every 500 mm. years, a reformation happens historically. Last one was in 1500s. You know, it's 2020. So we're really due for like a big movement that hopefully shifts things. And I. The evangelical church will is no exception to that rule. So I'm hoping we're seeing the beginning of a real rethinking. Even I'm not sure if you guys know who Russell Moore is. 
He's mm-hmm. a pretty yep. big yep. like evangelical guy. Mm-hmm. Has been very outspoken on so many things. I I've messaged him like, dude, you're a breath of fresh air. You know, right. like you know, explaining how dangerous Trump is. Uh, David French from the French Press, another great evangelical writer. The Holy Post with Sky Jatani and uh, Phil Vischer from Veggie Tales. You know, either evangelical, but man, like right. they are just doing the work. So it gives me hope that there are that there's an underground subculture of people. Who are just try- are getting these like social media platforms and just trying to push? And I'm hoping if there's enough of us, you know, we could do some we could do some good damage. Yeah, you can you can uh, type your 95 theses up on your Instagram account. You know, your <laughs> exactly. new Reformation. Yes, and then pin it. Boom. And pin it up there, right? Yep. <laughs> so you kind of just talked about this, but we we do always love to end the show with. Hope, and, and in particular this show, because let's just be honest, we've we've kind of poked the bear a little bit, and mm. we've exposed a lot of the things, given language to a lot of the things that we're frustrated with about church, and we're frustrated with about the movement that formed us but has abandoned us. So, when you look at your work, when you look at the future of faith, what if anything gives you hope? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are people, people who are deconstructing, most of them want want a more robust faith. So I feel like that's kind of, there are kind of like little seeds in the ground right now, right? And they're kind of replanting and the roots are, t- all of our roots are kind of taking new, new, new um, depths and they're just kind of taking form. But I hope that eventually blossoms into like a whole new movement of Christians who are very socially minded and socially focused, um, um, you know, who want to do tangible good in the world. So that, that I think that gives me hope. I meet these people all the time. You know, your podcast. We had that interview, I guess, a little while ago with some other podcasters. Mm-hmm. We were all on. It was just very like it was very nice. Like, yeah, like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. There's a little bit of uh, camaraderie here. It's a nice feeling to know that we're not alone in this. Um, and I do think, like I said, there are there still are good people in in the popular Christian you know Christendom evangelical culture. Bible Project, NT writes a great a great scholar in this in this regard, you know, and so on and so forth, who are doing really important work, um, and that that definitely gives me hope. You know, the, the good news is that the Christian faith did not start with us; it will not end with us. Even a, hmm. even an evangelical church that is so wayward can't stop like the 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 good news that there is a God who wants to redeem all things. That's a beautiful story, um, and I think that will continue on no matter what. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'm glad we ended on that because that was. That was a lot. We talked about a lot. Um, and I feel like it was very serious. And as I mean, I think everybody can tell we all are very passionate about this because it matters a lot to us. So if you heard our passion, sorry. Uh, but so because of that, I feel like we need a little bit of fun and lightheartedness. Um, so our listeners know that we like to ask everybody some fun questions at the end, but you probably don't know that yet, Tim. So do you do you mind if we just do like Let's some do fun it. rapid fire questions? Sure. Okay. So just go with your gut. Quickest, All right. quickest, quickest thing that comes to mind. All right. First question. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flight. Ooh, why? Flight, man. That was quick. Yeah. I thought about it. <laughs> you just really want to fly over the whole the whole globe. I, just something about that being free, like like you know, no traffic, right? Mm-hmm. Most direct route, like that's just a cool a cool vibe. Mm. I like that. All right, uh, what's your most used emoji? 
Um, the it used to be like the crying laughter one that was straight, but now I do the the crooked one because I read an article that Gen Z uses that one. Now, I don't want to get oh. outdated. <laughs> See, I read an article cool that said the they kids. use the um the like skull because it's dead now. Like, well, okay. I use that one a lot too. Oh, okay, okay. But oh. it, like the number one emoji is definitely the like slanted. Ah, I'm laughing so hard emoji for sure. Yeah, we gotta stay <laughs> gotta stay hip. Uh. If someone were to play you in a movie, who would it be? Oh, goodness. Gerard Butler. Ooh. Wow. I've been nice. told that when I grow my beard out, we look very similar. I mean, I don't have the physique that he had in 300, but that is my dream physique. If I ever <laughs> end up like as ripped as Gerard Butler or any of those gloriously looking, good looking men in that movie, I would do it. Mm. Yeah. But I like fast I look, food. Mm. Yeah. I look like the guy on the weather channel so uh, <laughs> no, no you look like you look like you look like the drummer kenny arnoff that's what you look like like to me oh okay all right he drums for google off. dolls he's really good oh nice all right hey, so what is the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you um it was a question that was given to me i think that was one of the most powerful questions that changed my life is what you're mad is what you're doing now going to matter 100 years from now hmm. mm. Mm. Yeah, that 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 changed my life. Well, way to send me into an existential crisis with that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. What's mm. the last text you sent? Uh, let's take a look. Um, I have a call with a web developer at eight. My time. Do you have time to make it to my admin? Mm. That's the last one. Nice, juicy. And I just got a text that dinner's <laughs> ready from, from my wife. Oh, so that's perfect. Hey, perfect that's timing. Awesome. <laughs> well, hey, Tim, this has been so fun and convicting on, on many levels. Um, for those of us who want to know more about you and your work that you're doing on online and your podcast, where where can we direct them? Sure. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, the New Evangelicals, Twitter at New Evangelicals, no E, because New Evangelicals was taken, which is a bummer. Um, and I have a podcast, the New Evangelicals podcast. Awesome. I want to make sure to put all that in the show notes too, so everybody can find you there as well. Oh, super kind. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today, Tim. This was such a great conversation and um, really honestly convicting with how kind and loving you are toward the people who may frustrate you. Um, I think we all need to get better at not dehumanizing, as you said. So thank you for your time and mm. thank you for this conversation. And hopefully we can have another one in the future. Hey, I, I know that I annoy people. So, and they're still my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to pass awesome. it on, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks right. again. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you. And that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And before you go, we'd like to ask you to consider becoming a Patreon patron of this humble little show. It may not seem like it, but it takes hours upon hours to create each episode and get them out to you each week. And whether you knew this or not, it's just me and Gary Allen with my husband, Josh, doing all the editing simply out of the goodness of his heart. So your contributions to the show will not only help us to continue producing quality content, it also gets you access to each show five days early. You get exclusive content and first dibs on merch when we finally get to that point. 
Every little bit helps, so head to patreon.com slash holyheretics to become a patron. Thank you. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.